0: we've been waiting right. yeah. we had
1: nothing to do Ed and I were just staring oh, at each other yeah. staring I'll at each other oh, awkwardly And I'll yeah. keep throwing <laughs> That's not awkward that. that's plottingly <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's a little bit better like this not quite making eye contact <laughs>
0: how about this one
1: No, that is not, that's suspiciously. How do you not know people's facial expressions? Welcome to Which Game First, where we boldly explore the hilariously huge world of board games. Did we unearth any hidden treasures you've been missing out on? Let's find out. First up, we spark our steam engines to ratchet together our punk machines in Widget Ridge. Next, the year is 1942. The world is on the brink of chaos as we command the forces of the Axis and allies in War Room. And lastly, we discover what divas Roman soldiers can be as we build our legions in the Cohort. I'm your host, Celeste Angelus. Now let's meet the rest of our brave and intrepid panel.
2: Hey, everyone. I'm Evan Bernstein, ready, willing,
0: and able. I'm Ed Povolaitis. Plans are worthless, but planning is everything hi i'm mike grenier and it's full steam ahead
3: hello friends the world of twitter and instagram is a huge place full of interesting people but sometimes it can just be so lonely luckily we're out there with open arms and we want to chat with you
1: yeah and we've got great new instagram stuff right mikey
3: oh yeah tons of pictures from game night and places we've been
1: So following us on Twitter and following us on Instagram would be a great way to help us grow the show. Thanks so much for listening. Thank you. Our first game up this week is Widget Ridge, designed by Ian Taylor and Sean Martinow, published by Furious Tree Games in 2019. Number of players, one to two. Ages 12 and up. Playtime, 30 minutes. When our clockwork explorer delivered this game to us by Pneumatic Tube, what were our first thoughts? Ed? Steampunk punk deck building? Let's get
2: building. Evan. Wasn't there an Ewok named Widget? Is this a Star Wars game?
3: <laughs> Mike? A deck building game where you're literally assembling an engine that's right in my wheelhouse.
1: Uh, maybe Gearbox? I, I don't know. know. <laughs> Ooh, I hope it comes with that very cool looking custom play mat I saw online. What? Yeah, it was really cool. But before we lace up our metal corsets and don our bronze goggles, Evan, tell us how it's played.
2: In Widget Ridge, you are an inventor competing in the world's biggest science fair. Each (laughs) player starts with a basic deck of seven starting widgets and three gadgets. On your turn, you can play cards, use gold to purchase cards from the marketplace, or add a card to your workshop. If you have managed to fully construct a machine with an augment, device, and accessory connected, then you may activate the machine and use its constructability. Activated. The first player to generate 100 spark, that's victory points, wins the game.
3: <laughs> we can finally not say victory points for once, though. That's kind of nice.
2: <laughs> right. But I, but if I say oh, 100 spark win the games, what the heck spark? Yeah, it's victory points.
1: I like that the win condition is a specific number. Oh, yes. You know, instead of like, yeah, whoever has the most wins.
3: Oh, right. Yeah. The game ends right away when somebody gets that hundred spark.
1: So it's a card game. And the question I had was, did it come with the playmat guys?
0: Uh, I don't see a playmat here, but do we got a prototype though? Yeah. This is before it got to the backers even yet. So it's coming soon. It's a Kickstarter game. That's right. It was
3: 239% funded by the way. So this game definitely nailed it in Kickstarter.
1: It's a great looking mat with a great piece of steampunk art on it and a nice widget bridge logo in the corner. I just love play mats. I love how they keep everything organized and they definitely add a sense of occasion to playing a game.
3: And they add a little bit to that steampunk feel that this game has. You have your little like workshop on the side where you put your cards and stuff and all the all the illustrations on there really fall into that theme nicely.
1: The art looks like it's 3D cartoon style. How did you guys like it?
0: I was feeling it. I thought it looked really nice. Yes. I got the steampunky feel and I loved the. It looked like you're building machines with it. It looked like weird parts or devices.
2: Yep. Some that light on fire, others that glow, <laughs> others that have little spikes <laughs> protruding from it. Yep. If you saw these things in real life, you probably wouldn't want to get
3: near any of them, frankly. You wouldn't go anywhere near these things. No, no.
1: <laughs> World's most dangerous science fair. yeah i mean one of the functions
3: of some of these machines is to melt other machine parts yeah melting
1: (laughs) how was the pacing of the game was there enough to do you start with seven widgets and three gadgets
0: just like almost any other deck builder you have a a starting deck with a basically a bunch of relatively weak cards but it's just enough to get your engine going
1: (laughs) is everybody's deck the same
0: yeah the starting deck is all the same but it gets different from turn one because you're probably going to buy something that's in the marketplace, which is somewhat ascension style and that it has a changing market. And every time somebody buys something, it gets refreshed. Yeah. And your starting
3: deck is basically just a, a mix of cards that give you gold and cards that give you a little bit of spark in different proportions.
1: Right. And then it's just a matter of how, what you're going to buy.
3: Exactly. And for, Shop me, for me, of course, I always want to buy the thing that gets my engine going mm-hmm. early, which is gold. So I get cards that provide more gold and start playing those out through my deck so I can buy the bigger, cooler stuff quicker.
1: Did you get to that point? Did you feel like there was enough time in the game to build using, you know, just build up your money first and then go for
3: yeah, because 100 spark takes a while to get to because you're only your early cards are giving you like one or two spark. So, you know, you're looking for those cards that give you seven, eight, 10 spark later on. So the game does have a curve where it ramps up really fast.
0: Mike, didn't you get like something like 40 spark on your last turn or something like that?
3: Yeah, it was crazy. Yeah. <laughs> I actually took over for Evan because he had to run for a minute. So I took what engine Evan had and pieced together some other parts on it that really ramped it up at the end.
2: Yeah, you took my broken machine and made it work really nicely there in the end. Thank you, Mike. It was
0: humming. Well, that's the (laughs) neat neat new thing in this game is where where you're not just playing the cards, but you're also building a device where you can put three cards into your workshop. And if you put together a nice machine, you get to run it at the end of your turn, and it does something wild usually. That is very cool. If you played other deck
3: builders like um, Ascension... They have something called artifacts, which come out of your deck and stay to the side. And that's essentially what this does, except for you're combining three parts. You have an augment, a device, which is the central engine part of the thing, and then an accessory, which gives you an option of something else to do.
2: And you have to link up those three cards using the icons that are on the sides of the cards. Mm -hmm. And you need to create matches. Not all augments can connect to all devices or connect to all accessories. You have to have the right combinations.
3: Yep. Some cards will give you several options to choose from. So like, I think there's like an alchemical one where you match up the two potion bottles and those machines work together.
0: There's like electrical, mechanical
3: and chemical connectors. Yep. So they're on the same position on each card. So when you put the cards next to each other, you'll see that alchemical matches alchemical, etc. Some of them have multiples and so you don't have to match all of them. You just have to match one of them.
1: I like that. That makes it so simple to keep your cards organized. I love those organizational touches on cards, especially when they're very clear. Were these cards very well organized?
3: I thought so. The icons were sure. really big. They were always in the same spot. And the costs of things were exactly where you expected them to be. So I thought the layout was good.
0: They have cool names that link together. Like for when you have three cars in your, in your workshop, for example, the hydro-powered moisture extractor with cooling vent. Yeah,
3: the, the device piece itself is where you get the main function of what the machine does. Uh, the augment is actually a cost for getting that result. And the accessory is there to be a option of what you can do. So, for instance, you know, something might say discard a card on your augment. That's your cost. And then your device would say draw two cards. Um and your accessory say could say or gain four spark. So, when you activate the machine, you got a couple of different choices of what you can do.
1: But not overwhelming.
3: No, it's it's two choices on each machine for the most part.
2: Yeah, very straightforward. Mike, I know you hate going backwards in games and this game does have a mechanic where you can lose some of your spark. What did you think about
3: that? Oh, You know how I feel about negative (laughs) victory points. It's just, it makes me think that the game could potentially go on in perpetuity, which makes me sad.
2: Ed walloped me on one turn with a big, big, with a big set of minuses when he activated one of his machines.
3: Luckily, there's not too many cards that do that. Um, The other way to set somebody back is that Certain cards allow you to melt other people's parts of their machine. It's going to melt down though. His parachute's going to go away. Oh, it's a one time It's a one shot.
2: Okay. Why wouldn't he do that? He
3: can do it it for five or he can do it for 10. Now he
2: can get the maximum
3: out of it right now. Well, he can keep it in. Where are are you at? 30, what? 44. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, an eight. (laughs) That's (laughs) That's not an improvement. That's not
2: an (laughs) improvement. (laughs) One, two, three. All right. That hurts. You have the perfect
3: engine going. It's cranking out victory points every turn. Me and Ed are both constructors, not really as much destroyers. I could, uh, I could see what Celeste would do in there. She'd be looking for the melty cards and just ba
1: ba ba <laughs> blaze blaze oh. baah, <laughs> 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 meltinate.
3: <laughs> you know what? I needed
2: to melt with some more starting cards out of my hand because yes. that's what kind of. Left, you know, got Ed out to a faster start than I did. I was still playing with ones, and Ed was playing with the higher valued cards.
3: Any game you play that has a deck with a bunch of generic starting cards. You always look for early on for the way to get rid of those things so that everything is more efficient. Every time you draw a hand, it's full of goodies.
1: If you got the card as a default starter, get rid of that as quick as you can. Yeah, almost (laughs) always. (laughs) Okay, Explorers, it's time to dig up or bury Widget Ridge. Evan?
2: Looks good. Plays well. Steampunk's not my favorite genre, but that aside,
0: I'm going to dig this up. Ed? The variety of wild inventions you can build has a fun twist and otherwise light deck building game it may not be as deep as normally like but i'll dig it up for some fast gaming or two mike i think it's a fun
3: deck builder with a really nice unique twist the base mechanics leave tons of room for expansions so i say use your steam powered shovel to dig it up
1: and where can you find it mike uh
3: actually the game was funded by kickstarter and manufacturing is on on its way to some of the backers soon um but i think that you can still pre-order it for about 20
1: bucks. If you have thoughts about Widget Ridge, let us know. We are at Which Game First on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Our next game up this week is War Room, designed by Larry Harris, published by Nightingale Games in 2019. Number of players, 2 to 6. Ages 14 and up. Playtime, 2 to 6 hours. Okay, when this giant box of stuff landed on Ed's doorstep, what were our first thoughts? Heaven?
2: Gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room.
3: (laughs) Mike? So many colors
0: and shapes, numbers. Am I going to get lost in this war? Ed? So many hours of planning, all to hand your fate over to the fickle will of Dice. Ed was sure lucky to get such early access
1: to this (laughs) game. And now, as the gathering storm for this review, Evan, tell us how it's played.
2: In war room... You have been entrusted with the mantle of command for your nation during World War II. Collaborate with allies to coordinate maneuvers before resolving your secret simultaneous orders for movement and production. Assign battle stances for each unit type wisely during conflicts on the land, at sea, and air. Maintain a tight grip on your territories and guard your convoys to control the varied resources required to expand your army. Attack your enemies where they least expect and crush their national morale. Strive onward to capture the enemy capitals and secure
0: victory. V for
2: victory.
3: It was crazy. There was stacks of like, different shapes and colors with numbers on top of them all over the board. I was terrified.
0: It's an intimidating pile of components. <laughs> it really was. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. It, uh, it took me a while to set up this game. I mean,
3: yeah. Thankfully, Ed did all the setup before we even showed up. So that was perfect.
0: And I had to do lots and lots of stickers oh we had to stick all the stickers on the stacks oh man command numbers are all on a sheet of stickers and not a sheet of stickers there's at least two sheets of stickers involved
3: now when will this game come out with a digital version that we don't have to do all the setup for and moving around and stuff
1: you know that i am scared of any game that is so huge it comes with sticks to push your pieces around the table because you can't reach them
0: all <laughs> oh it doesn't come with them normally i got the bonus pack to get those yeah we played the
3: small board too and it covered the entire table we have pictures up but yeah this thing was monstrous That's
2: authentic world war ii war room scenario i'm loving Oh yeah, it. yeah i felt
3: like i actually had to travel from from india to africa like in real time because the board was so long It
0: It is this this board is 42 inches in diameter.
3: Wow. And it's round, which is really cool for uh, you don't see that very often. Yeah. You guys ever see in school where you had that world map that's like crushed down flat? That's the kind of map they're using for it. So things are stretched and stuff like that.
0: Yeah, it's neat because it has a polar projection, which means the center of the map is the North Pole. And then you can see the whole world around that, the U.S. and Russia.
1: Oh, that's nice. So you didn't have to spend much time reaching all the way to the center of the map. That's smart.
0: They use the space well in the North Pole. They have the turn tracker where you can track your turn order and how well your morale is doing as a nation. Oh, yeah. Morale is a factor.
1: Now, I know that you Ed got both the regular board, which is a hard cardboard map. And you also got the rollout map, which was a giant neoprene map.
0: <laughs> which is even bigger. Yeah, it's even bigger. It's, it's 47 <laughs> inches. Yeah, I know. Which one did you guys use? We used this cardboard one because it actually fit on my table. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if we had a bigger table, we would have used the neoprene. But yeah, this it's one actually fit. The kind of fit.
2: game you buy when you need new furniture in the house. Oh,
0: let's get a new dining room table. <laughs> no, or, it's, or it's the kind of game where when you buy it, you buy new furniture to accommodate the game. Uh, it's probably great for convention because the, the conventions have those big round tables. Yeah. It's perfect for that type of table. But that won't be enough. You're going to have to have a side table to have all the combat boards on it <laughs> and a casualty tracker. This
1: would look spectacular at a convention. Absolutely. So, Ed, Mike and Joe Mm -hmm. played this Mm -hmm. game. Now, I know Joe has been a big fan of Axis and Allies and actually wrote a Which Game First article about War Room.
3: It's good. Check it out.
1: Yeah, a long time ago when it was uh, highly anticipated, uh, but only a twinkle in every gamer's eye. So Larry Harris designed both Axis and Allies and this
0: game. Mm-hmm. Big changes. This is supposed to be his magnum opus. <laughs> what would you think? I love the secret orders. That is a huge innovation here over Axis and Allies, where everybody can simultaneously plan out the orders for their nation. And you only got so many orders. Like uh, for some nations, you might only have six orders, while or some of the, the larger nations will have nine orders to write. And that's it. And Mm -hmm. all you have to do is write down two things which command number, which stack basically is going to move. And where is it moving to write down that information for up to nine different things. Your turn is done. Was he inspired by diplomacy for that game feature? He might've been,
3: I it's except for you're not, you don't have equal troops moving around. Like I could have a giant stack of Navy moving into a space where there's one tiny little Naval unit
2: plotting it secretly. That is definitely a diplomacy feature.
0: It does does feel like diplomacy. There are some other games that do it, but it very much feels like diplomacy to me. The best part of that is that everybody does it simultaneously. Where like in Axis and Allies, you have to wait for all the other nations to do their move before it comes to your turn.
3: Yeah, they move all their troops. (laughs) This thing here, you got six to nine units that you can move that turn and that's it. You got to plan really carefully for that. A Great innovation as well is the combat board. You can, instead of just being the kind of troops you are, you can actually have your troops take a specific stance. So, when you get into a combat, like if you move into a territory with another group of units, you pull them aside to a board and you can put choose an offense or a defensive stance for them. In the defensive stance, they're usually tougher or harder to kill. Offensive stance, you can roll more dice to try to hit with.
0: And some things are really thematic there, where like the artillery, for example, you can use them to target the air units, or you can use them to target the ground unit.
1: And simple improvements too, right? Like um, changing from paper money, oh like in Access to Allies, <laughs> to paying for things with oil, iron, and other strategic resources, and they call them OSRs, right? Yeah,
3: th- that's way better, and it feels more realistic too.
0: Yeah, because when you capture territory now, instead of just getting IPCs, you can see, oh, this is an oil risk place I just captured so now I can use more oil based units and that's big and oil also has a big bonus right Mike Uh, yeah actually one of the best parts
3: about oil is that you can use it to choose your turn order you spend oil in like a secret a secret reveal or bid to determine your turn order so if you're tied with somebody you kind of pull your things out of the bag but if you're ahead of somebody you can choose whether to go first last or somewhere in the middle
1: now Joe wrote a great review for this game and uh, we posted it on our website and Board Game Geek, so you can check it out. It's very thorough. One of the things I know he loved was the pinning, which was when you have to extract units from a hot spot. They often can't escape safely all at once, so you have to leave some troops behind, which added to the realism, right?
3: Yeah. So if your enemy has three units, I have six units. I can only move three of those mo- units out.
1: Joe said it was very traumatic. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs>
0: So that could actually uh, mess up your plan, because if you had planned to invade, say, Ukraine with this big thick unit stack, but Germany got there first and now it's tied up in a battle that's to your disadvantage.
3: Getting that move first can really throw a monkey wrench in people's plans. And I paid a lot of oil to do that for a couple turns. You did. It, it cost me, though. I, I wasn't able to buy everything I wanted to that next turn because I was a little bit short on oil. Yeah, well, I saved up my oil for bombers. Oh, man.
2: Oh, boy, bombers. If you know Axis and Allies, you know about strategic bombing runs.
0: So how big a part is bombing in War Room? Oh, strategic bombing runs are just as good here as they are in Axis and Allies. Just not better. Oh, no, no,
3: no, Ed. No, they are way better in this game than they used to be. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> if you're constructing something in the place that gets bombed, all they have to do is roll one of those pips that matches the thing that you're constructing and it destroys it and wastes all the resources and time that went into building it.
2: And talk a little bit about the dice when you're talking about pips. what, what are we talk, What are we looking at here? The
3: dice are cool. They're like 12 siders and they just have a color on each side. So you have to roll the matching color to the thing you're trying to kill. So if you're fighting a mixed group of units, your yellow units are your infantry units. If you don't roll any yellow, you don't kill any infantry.
0: But there are more infantry on the the dice than there are, say, a battleship. Because there's four of the yellows, three of the blue, two of the green, and one of the red pips on the 12-sided die, plus a white pip and a black pip. The white and black
3: pips work differently than the rest of them. The black is kind of like a wild card, and the white is only hits a unit that's already been injured that turn. You can't make use of those two pips unless you have a more mixed army than your opponent. In other words, you need to have, let's say they only have infantry. If you have infantry and artillery, then you have the advantage in that fight and you can use those black and white pips
0: that's correct uh, one thing that really joe really liked is this model that you really want to bring combined arms into a fight so the more variety of units that you have in the battle the better your unit will perform makes sense so like in old axis and allies you'd have a
3: situation where you're playing russia and you'd want to just crank out um infantry units all the time just throw dudes
0: at your opponent but it doesn't work as well in this version yeah, that was such a really cool innovation here. And now having combined arms is the valid strategy to use, or at least um, there are advantages to using combined arms as opposed to building a whole bunch of infantry.
2: Right, so you're not wasting your roles, basically, yeah. It sounds like what it comes down to. A lot of roles would otherwise get wasted.
1: Okay, now the pacing of this game. I <laughs> <laughs> mean of this two to six hour game? <laughs> Yeah, it is a longer game, uh, which oftentimes I have difficulty with these really extremely long Mm -hmm. games. But I understood that in this game, there's a lot of uh, phases that can be executed simultaneously while other players are doing things as well. Oh, yeah. Uh, Did you notice that it sped up the game better than, say, Access and
0: Allies? I mean, we were learning the game, so we played pretty slow regardless. But I feel with some experience, you can play certain turns, or at least parts of these turns, faster than Axis and Allies. Because the planning is done simultaneously, production is done simultaneously, because you have a pad to write down everything you're going to do, and then once everybody's done, you can reveal it. They even recommend if you're trying to do a faster, like, say, convention game that has to be done in a certain amount of time, you can put a timer on these phases so that everybody only has, say, 10 minutes in order to do these orders.
3: Yep. And another thing that's kind of interesting about this is since you're doing simultaneous turns, if you have more players playing, it actually goes a little faster because instead of me trying to control Italy and Germany at the same time, I would just have one country to worry about and somebody else would be doing the other one.
0: There's also a morale board which keep track of your casualties, right, Mike? Yeah. (laughs) And I had a lot
3: of them playing Japan. We were killing a lot of units that first turn. It got ugly. The board is cool because you take the units that you've lost and you put them onto the morale board. Once you hit certain thresholds, it gives you like a negative mark that if you get too many of them, your entire country will go into like different stages of disrepair and you'll have negatives across the board for that.
0: Right. So they caught stress points and they got metal too. You can earn for winning territory. So if you get too much stress, you'll get into disorder and you have morale consequences. But you can use metal to help repair that. So if you're doing well in the war, the people don't mind as much that you just you know, lost five battleships to the carrier to Japan.
3: Or the other way to get your morale back on track is to spend straight up resources to buy what I called rum. But basically <laughs> it's uh, it's goods for your guys to feel better about how terrible things have just gone. You can buy off some of those negative points.
1: The rum ration equipment. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, Joe cannot be on our main show very often anymore due to family constraints, but we're definitely going to be hearing from him on our side quests, which we're releasing midweek every week now. So listen for him there. And I know he's going to be doing a episode on World War II games coming soon.
3: Awesome. Yay. I missed the guy.
1: All right, Explorers, it's time to dig up or bury War Room. Mike?
3: This game has everything I loved about Axis and Allies, but more cool choices and a way more intuitive interaction. So definitely dig
0: this up. Ed? War Room is a big game. Taking turns simultaneously with hidden orders adds great drama and stakes to a global Axis and Allies style game. And the stances give interesting options to every battle. Dig this up. Where can you find it, Ed? War Room won't reach retail stores anytime soon. But you can order online at NightingaleGame.com. Run for about $250. If you have thoughts about
1: War Room, let us know. We are at Witch Game First on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. We'd love to hear from you. Our last game up this week is The Cohort, designed by Jeremy Kletzkine, published by Mage Company in 2016. Number of players, two to six, ages eight and up. Playtime, 15 to 30 minutes. Okay, when we stole the idea to play this card game from ancient Greece, what were our first thoughts? Evan?
2: That's a good-sized box. What's in it? Just a deck of cards? What's that all about?
1: (laughs) Ed?
3: Legion's assemble for the glory of Rome. Mike? Wow, the guys on the cards all look like jerks. I'm not rooting for any of them.
1: The great Roman historian Vegetius said... We find that the Romans owed the conquest of the world to no other cause than continual military training, exact observance of discipline in their camps, and unwearied cultivation of the other arts of war. But before we find out if this game integrates all those traits, quid pro quo, Evan. (laughs) (laughs) In the
2: cohort, players race to assemble a legion of three cohorts and become Caesar's greatest commander. A cohort is a set of one type of units: Praetorians, catapults, centurions, Sagittarii, Equites, Legionnaires, or Velites. On your turn, draw two cards. Keep one and give the other to a player of your choice. You can keep that card in your hand or trigger it and create a cohort. Be careful though, for the troops are rowdy. Until a cohort is com- <laughs> <laughs> until a cohort is complete, their behavior works against you. First player to complete three cohorts wins, so snap them into line as quickly as you can, disrupt the plans of your fellow commanders, and show Caesar that your legion is the greatest in all the Empire. Caesar's
0: so judgmental. Look at my legion, Caesar. Come on, men. Get into shape. What are you dallying about for? Line up like good soldiers.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Does Caesar really think they're awesome or just less jerky than the other armies?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Exactly.
2: The least jerky group of cohorts.
1: In this game, that's the best you can hope for is slightly less jerky. In this game, it's all about managing your Romans. And holy cow, it turned out to be way harder (laughs) than I thought it was going to (laughs) be.
3: Yeah. Every time you start a cohort, it gives you some kind of negative effect. So you're basically managing your debuffs and detriments in this game.
1: I really enjoyed the theme of this game because it was all about what a pain it was to manage the troops. And I really thought that was a clever thing to base the game on.
3: Oh, yeah. If that's what they were going for, mission accomplished.
0: (laughs) (laughs) The game concept is fairly simple. The set collection game, but it provides an interesting twist in that the sets are working against you. Yes,
1: it was. It was a real flip the script situation.
3: Yeah, they seem to have a hard time balancing it, though, in my opinion. Because there's one guy, you only need three of him, and all it does is make you reveal your hand. Uh, but the guy that costs four makes you unable to receive cards from other people.
0: Yeah, I think what they were going for there is like playing with an open hand, mean people won't be giving you the card that you need. That wasn't that big of a deal since you're usually getting the cards you need
3: by drawing them anyway.
1: I think it would have required the game to have more choices in order for that to work well. There just didn't feel to me like I had enough to do. I had to go with what I had.
0: Sounds like a game of pit in a certain way. A little bit. The game also suffers from poorly written rules. Which is always sad. (laughs) Oh my goodness, the rules. Yeah, we had to look up in the rule book uh, because some of the text on the cards were not very clear. And you look at the rule book, which is only a simple page. But it's still not clear what they mean by something. And it's a bit of an issue. Make the game feel a bit clunky and complex than it needs to. They
3: had enough room on those cards to actually print the meaning of the rule they were trying to talk about. But instead of doing that, they gave some kind of summary blurb, which you had to look back into the rule book to see what it actually meant.
1: Yeah. There was absolutely plenty of room on the cards to be cleaner and clearer. And the style of the cards are cartoony, mm-hmm. very cartoony drawings of Roman mm-hmm. soldiers, which I thought set the scene perfectly for the type of game that it was. I enjoyed looking at them. They did look like a bunch of divas that you had to manage.
3: Yeah, they had that perfectly arrogant look on their face. And I thought the artist really captured that well.
1: Yes, it did. Like the Sagittarius where the archers and they were kind of these skinny, <laughs> uh, goofier looking dudes and the equities mm-hmm. looked really, you know, pompous on their horses and the centurions were fat.
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they were stocky, right? <laughs> Which I
1: liked because they were sort of the management, you know, <laughs> they set the theme nicely with the art, but there yeah. was plenty of room guys to shrink that art, still make them very visible and make these rules clearer on the cards. Also the font they used for the rules. <laughs> I mean, It's great for the titles of the cards, but make the actual writing of the rules Mm -hmm. in as clear a simple font as you can.
0: Yeah, that's a very big design thing. When you're trying to design games or you're looking at like, wow, this has a nice style to it, but I need to be able to read it.
3: The really important part, which is understanding (laughs) the rules, gets lost with your your theme.
0: (laughs) Artistic flavor. It, after
3: a while this game seemed like i was just waiting for the one card i needed so i'm just drawing and tossing a card to somebody else and hoping that i get the one thing i need and that's kind of a bummer like i it could have ended a little earlier
0: a lot of set collection games fall into that trap or that issue where at the end of the game because you have all the other sets you just need one type of card to finish that last set and like
1: Come on. Yeah, it can be disappointing when it's just flip a card. Oh, my stuff didn't come up. I got it. And that's it. My turn's over. I can't get cards, and I have to randomly. So basically, I get one chance to
0: randomly, randomly, top
1: randomly pull a card I need. I can't get cards, and I have to randomly distribute. Sucks. I have one shot. I feel at like these things
3: could be more clever to make this game decent,
1: but I think they're not. Whew, I you just
3: can't I mean, this is my either.
1: this is my own fault. I got too Boom. many things running. Boom, catapult.
3: It would have been interesting to see some maybe positive effects on the really hard ones to get, like if you need six of them, but they give you some kind of bonus or I don't know, like some variety in the different things that they did would have been made this game a lot funner, I think.
2: Well, the good thing about this game is it's easy to clean up because it has an extra large box for such small.
1: It's an arm sweep dump into the box, just like War Room. Right, Ed? You just sweep it all back in the box. You just sweep it right in with one arm.
2: (laughs) That's right. Tilt the table. You have one person hold the box. One person tilt the table and the game's cleaned up. (laughs) He's speechless. Ed is having a heart attack for those of you who can't hear it on the show right now.
1: All right, explorers, it's time to dig up or bury the cohort.
0: Ed? It is an interesting twist on set collection, but the rules are poorly written and the game devolves into hoping to draw the correct card before <laughs> your opponent does. So I'll bury it for the next commander.
3: Mike? It's kind of a drag figuring out how to mitigate damage against yourself rather than trying to build something interesting. So I say bury it.
1: As a person who has to play cards with kids a lot, it beats the heck out of playing Go Fish again. So I think it has just enough changes and interesting theme to make it on my card playing shelf. I'm going to dig it up. Mike, where can you find this game?
3: The cohort may be a bit hard to find, but I saw some copies online and at secondhand stores and it retails for maybe 20 bucks or less.
1: If you have thoughts about the cohort, let us know. We are at which game first on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And that brings us to the end of our show. We look forward to hearing about all the game exploring you've done. If you would like more perks and content from our show, including our exclusive podcast for patrons only called bonus points. For just $3 a month, you could go to our website and click on become a supporter today. If you get a chance, please leave us a rating or review. And please follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Just following us is a huge help to others finding the show. Join our chat on our Discord server. And happy gaming, explorers. Tally-ho. Pip-pip.